We are live. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Cosmic Connection. This is your place to come and explore the order and beauty of the cosmos and your connection to it all. I'm Amanda Poole Walsh, the founder of Astrology Hub. I am here with our very favorite Rick Merlin Levine. And Rick, there's one thing before we go into the future of astrology. Can you? We're, please- we're already we're already into the future <laughs> compared to a minute ago. Oh, and here we are again. That's true. Um, can you tell us again about the word cosmos? That is extraordinary because I almost interrupted you to say before we get to whatever your question is, you know, it's been a while. I swear this was all formed in my mind. Wow. Uh, um, It's been a while since we've talked about that. And every week you say that this is about the beauty and order of of the cosmos. And I thought it's probably time today to remind people who weren't, who were not on those first sessions or two where we told the story. Yes. And so it's like totally synchronistic and kind of a little mind blowing, but you know, <laughs> why not? Um, and we didn't I, plan that. We didn't plan that, but I've been thinking about it because I tell people often I'll say, do you know what cosmos means? And then I tell them and it's like their minds are blown. So, well, yeah. again, I, I, I swear I restrained myself from letting you finish your thought before I interrupted you and say, before we start talking about the future of astrology, I think we really need to talk about why you always say the order and beauty of the cosmos. Yes. And it's this. In Greek, and I should do a complete um, disclosure here, I do not speak, read, or write Greek, but I know a few words. And I am a bit of an etymology uh, geek, that's geek, not Greek. And, um, and the word cosmos is, is, comes from a Greek word. It's a Greek word. And in ancient Greece, often words meant, had double meanings. They meant two different things. Now, we have that in English, where even if the word is spelt the same or different, you know, bear and bear, um, I mean, there are words that actually can mean different things. And even if they're spelled the same, they can actually um, have have different meanings. But those meanings in English are often not connected. They're just they're just there. Whereas in Greek, when a word meant two different things, there was a reason it meant two different things. And the word cosmos which is which is the uh, root word for cosmic. It's also the root word for um, cosmology, for understanding how it all fits together. Um, and and even when we look out at the starry sky, we call that the macrocosm. Mm-hmm. And in fact, scientists call the subatomic realm where quantum physics does its magic. That's called the microcosm. So that there are, in fact, three cosms. There's the microcosm of the very, 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 very small. There's the macrocosm of the very, 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 very large. And then there's the cosm that we don't really talk about, but it's the invisible middle cosm called the mesocosm, which is where you and I meet, which is where 
our earthly experiences are on the mesocosm, in effect, in between the microcosm and the macrocosm. So now the punchline to all of this is that in Greek, <clears throat> the word cosm had a double meaning. And the double meaning was order, like the natural order of things. Things had an order. Things had a place, and that place was a natural order. And it meant beauty, because to the Greeks, the natural order was beautiful. Now, we live in a modern um, or postmodern world where we feel, we believe, we learn that the world is chaotic and a mess and it's our place uh, as humans to restore, uh, to fix it, <laughs> to make it orderly uh, and or beautiful because nature is is horrific. It's death and it's ugliness and it's decaying leaves. And, and yet to the Greeks, the, the, the natural world or the cosm, the, the mesocosm, the macrocosm and the microcosm, they were both orderly and the order was natural beauty. Now here's where it gets a little crazy because we have other words in the English language that come from the same root derivation. And the, the word that comes to mind is cosmetic. And you can see the cosm right in it. And the word cosmetic, um, if you go to its, its root meanings, to, to the etymology of the origins of the word, the word cosmetic actually means an action that helps bring out the natural beauty that was therein hid, as opposed to us moderners who use the word cosmetic as cover girl. And I'm not picking on that as a brand, but the idea of uh, the body is ugly and therefore needs to be hidden and, and, and you can hide the ugliness of lines or of shapes or of colors by covering it up with something. And so we've kind of twisted the meaning of the word into a cosmetic is something, cosmetic surgery. You know, cosmetic surgery doesn't bring out the beauty that was there. It hides the ugliness and puts beauty on top of it based upon what we think of as 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 beautiful. So I, I lo love the word cosmos and cosmic in, in everything. Uh, little known fact, in 1993 or four, before most people knew what the internet was and before most people had email, it might have even been 92, my very first website was called verycosmic.com. That was it. <laughs> That's perfect for you. Oh, gosh, I love that. I love hearing it again. And what you're bringing out about this being a fundamental paradigm through which we view life in general is such yeah. a good point. I mean, it's yeah. like, is this some chaotic thing we need to wrangle and like put into the box that we think is acceptable? Or is it beautiful and in its natural order. And, and if you think about how people do that with themselves, you know, one of the most freeing things I think, but we talked last week about how it can be misused is that astrology can really help you understand your own natural order and the beauty in that, as long as we don't try to then manipulate it and put it in the box. Yeah, and you know, the same thing, the same thing flows out through our Western theologies based 
uh, or, or compared to the Asian theologies, because in Hinduism and Buddhism, for example, um, unity is is assumed, and yet we experience multiplicity, but we try to reestablish or refine enlightenment by find, re reconnecting with unity. Whereas in the West, multiplicity is assumed, and therefore we have to um, um, overlay, again, kind of like a cosmetic, universal cosmetic surgery, we have to put our intellect over the, the mess, the chaos, the multiplicity of the universe to make it make any sense out of it, to make it unified. Mm, wow. Okay. So off to a roaring beginning. <laughs> Let's go to the future of astrology. And really, I just wanted to hear your take on where you see this field going, where you see potential and opportunity for budding astrologers or people coming into the field and how you see it evolving through time. Some small little questions for you to ponder. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, I almost, I almost, almost don't know where to jump in, but mm. I know where I'm going to jump in mm. because it's kind of the same place I jump in on a lot of discussions and that is, if we're going to talk about the future of this astrology, we kind of need to talk just for a moment about what the present is and how it's different from the past. And that's so easy to forget because we're brought into the world or into a study of astrology now, the way it is now. And we forget that the reason why horoscope calculation was limited pretty much to royalty. You, you know, you didn't go to an astrologer to get your chart done um, unless you were the Duke of or the Prince of or the Emperor of Emperor Rudolph. You know, Johannes Kepler was, was Emperor Rudolph's astrologer. He was his timekeeper. That was his day job. That's a, that, that, the technical word for that was Mathematica. He was the Mathematicus of the empire, which meant that he kept time. And the way you keep time is astrological because time is astrological, whether it's a, um, a year, which is a cycle of the earth around the sun, or a month, which is the cycle of the moon around the earth, um, or a half of a month, which is a fortnight, or a half of a fortnight, which is a week. You know, all these units of measure are astrological. But it took a mathematical genius to be able to figure out what time it was, so to speak, before we had digital watches, computers, apps, and, 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 and so on. And so we forget that the information that we have now is, uh, I mean, people coming into astrology now are the first generation of humans to be born into a world where at a push of a button, you can know where all the planets in the solar system are. Uh, prior to that, even going back just 50 years, in order to do that, you had to know a little bit about spherical geometry, uh, trigonometry. Uh, you had to know how to use logarithms to interpolate, to kind of figure out where a planet was now. Because even with the reference books that we had 50 years ago, the ephemerises, 
Um, they, they were basically, this is um, a book of 1900 to 2050, and it's very well worn, as you can see, but I don't use it much these days. Why? Because I have a computer. But this book actually has a page for every month from January of 1900 to December of 2050. And for each day, for each month, there's a listing of where the Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, North Node, uh, um, the Moon's the Moon's Node, um, and and eclipses. And it has that for every day of the year. But it has it for you can see here. This is a Swiss. It says zero hour, um, zero hour which means that this ephemeris tells me where the planets were or will be at midnight of every day. So if someone was born at 8.32 p.m., I have to do a mathematical technique called interpolation, where I take where the moon was or where a planet was um, at, at midnight the day before and midnight the day after, and I mathematically figure out where it is at that moment. It's something that every astrologer, to be an astrologer, you had to do. There was no other way. There was no other way. If you were an astrologer, the first things you learned were chart calculations, which right now I would say is the last thing we learn. But for many people, it's something they never learn. I've used the image before of how many people know how to adjust the timing belt in their car or change the oil or whatever. And there was a time when cars were brand new is you had to know that there was no one else to do it for you. You had to do it yourself. So the picture I'm trying to make is that where we are now compared to where we were 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, <clears throat> we probably should make a stop at about 500 years ago where Johannes Kepler figured out the laws of planetary motion, because prior to then, you really had to go out in the sky and, and go out at night and do sightings and then figure out in-betweens where, where the planets were. But the old calculations that were handed down uh, from a couple of thousand years ago from Ptolemy, they were inaccurate. You could do the calculations, the orbit of Mars... For example, when when Kepler recalculated that after he made his breakthrough uh, uh, in thinking and came up with these mechanical laws, when he recalculated the orbit of Mars and then went out at night and verified that his calculations were accurate, that that Ptolemy's calculations were off by eight minutes of arc a year. So if you're looking at 30 or 40 or 50 years, it can be off by degrees. Anyhow, the point of all of this is that the amount of technological advance we've seen um, and how that's impacted astrology is already mind-bending, mind-boggling. Again, people coming into astrology now simply cannot grasp the difference. And even I and people uh, who, I mean, I began looking at charts in the late 60s and early 70s, and, and even people from that era have, can look at people from 50 years prior to that, where there weren't even the reference tools that we had, that I had. 
And so one looks forward three years, five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, and we go, where is this going to be? What are we, what tools are we going to have? Um, I mean, you know, going, go, going back just to the medieval times, most charts were drawn up on, on squares rather than, than circles. And just that little simple change in technology is mind-bending when you think about it. What technologies will we have for drawing charts in 10 or 50 years that right now we can't imagine? Well, I can, but we'll get back to that in a few minutes. I was just going to add the other thing in addition to the ability for us to, to run charts now without having that mathematical understanding or inclination is the accessibility to teachers like you. So think about how, you know, however many years ago to, to be able to sit and learn from a teacher like you, you would have to either be in the proximity of that person or you would have to move and travel and be with that person. And that would be expensive and very time consuming and, you know, all the above. So just the ability. And those people who were stood out as the great astrologers of their times as we look back, I mean, now, I mean, thank you for the compliment. And yeah, I'm considered to be, you know, whatever up there, whatever. But there are tens, hundreds of us that, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, I, I mean, I might be special, but I'm not special because of what I know about astrology. There's a whole ton of people who bring amazing expertise to this. And they're all pretty much accessible in, in historic times, even if there was a teacher the teacher wouldn't take students unless the student in some way proved their worth or, 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 or the teacher was ready to teach because it just wasn't, you know, many of them spent their time in study and in isolation. And so it was, a, you're right, the accessibility of the information is very, very different. And there's a third thing that comes into that. And I know I've spoken to, to this before, but that is before the once every 400 year conjunction of Neptune and Pluto, which occurred in the 1890s, which won't occur again until 2390. That that conjunction brought about what we call depth psychology. That conjunction was, was the catalyst for Freud writing the interpretation of dreams, which led down the psychoanalytic trail, which led Jung and, and, and Wilhelm Reich and, and, and people, more modern people, um, you know, um, you, you know, like um, uh, people like Thomas More even, who, you know, have theologies built around this material. Um, it wasn't accessible. There was no vocabulary. The reason why astrology was strictly predictive is there was no word for ego or projection or unconscious or so many other words that we just take for granted. And, and we have a language in astrology to describe that. But if there was no that that was known, astrology couldn't have been a language to describe it. So if you look at the astrologers of the 15, 16, 1700s, 1800s, 
um, even into the early 1900s, they were, uh, again, it was a very different breed of study and a very different uh, orientation of what astrologers did. Okay, so now looking forward. All right, let's let's take a simple one. Uh, looking at a chart on a flat piece of paper is really a pretty archaic and stupid thing because because the the universe and you know as long as we're talking etymology you know what the word universe means no well you know what uni right uni is one one and a verse even in poetry a a verse is a turn the universe means it turns as one (laughs) one turn that's what the universe means it's spinning and so <clears throat> the universe is multidimensional. It's at minimum three-dimensional, which means that it has height, width, and depth. And as soon as something has height, width, and depth, and we put it on a flat piece of paper, we get distortion. And so every chart that every astrologer has looked at is not real. It's distorted just like a map that we look at. You may be aware of the most common map that is used is called the Mercator projection, named after a, geez, I think maybe 17th century, maybe um, map maker, you know, named Frank Mercator or John or Bill. I have no idea, but it, it, but he was the person who came up with the with the with this particular way of taking what's ar- around a globe and putting it on a flat piece of paper. And when you look at a Mercator projection of a map of the Earth, it looks like Europe and the United States are kind of in the center of it all. It looks like Australia and Africa and New Zealand. It looks like they're not, they're they're like down under, you know? Well, it turns out that that projection makes things that get closer to the poles extraordinarily larger than they really are. And things closer to the equator, extraordinarily smaller than they really are. And it's a shock to most people. I know it was to me when I first realized, you know, like I look, you look at a map and Africa looks about the size of the United States. And I think you could fit something like five United States into Africa. That's how big it is. But, but that's not the map that we see. The colonialist <laughs> European white supremacist, even dare I say it, map made Africa look very small and in, insignificant. Now, the only reason why I'm mentioning that, well, two reasons. One is because it's the truth, and it's important to know the truth. Secondly, when we look at a horoscope on a flat piece of paper, we're seeing that same level of distortion. We're not seeing what is. We're seeing the the three dimensions flattened. So there is perspective, because you get perspective when you flatten a three-dimensional object. And, and, and therefore, I mean, we don't have another way of looking at and ingesting the information that is in a horoscope 
although there are tools already coming out for those people who are enrolled in um, Brett's course on uh, astronomy for astrologers, you begin to realize that there are tools that actually can take a horoscope and tilt it and lay it over the actual night sky that then all of a sudden we can see the horizon, we can see where the horoscope actually is bent out of shape in order to fit it on a flat piece of paper. Now this doesn't, this might sound like it's a technical thing and not important, but it's as incredibly important as the fact that Africa is a ton larger than we think it is based upon the projection that we see. And so the question becomes, what is it in natal or birth horoscopes that we're missing that we'll never see as long as we're looking at it on a flat piece of paper. Now, we don't quite have this technology yet. Oh, but we're like so close. Um, I've actually worn um, artificial intelligence um, um, reality, three, you know, glasses, goggles, 3D goggles, not 3D goggles. Virtual goggles. reality? virtual reality, artificial reality, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever you want to call it. We're back to transhumanism that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But in wearing these glasses, the person who was assisting me in this had software that, that he could create just like we would create a horoscope on a screen or on a piece of paper. He could create that three-dimensional picture of where all the planets were. And by watching it, I could lean towards Saturn and go into towards Saturn and look around and from Saturn see that the earth was lined up with the sun or whatever. In other words, I could move around inside, inside a, a horoscope, if you will. Wow. This technology is not there wherever there is. It's not it's it's not ready for prime time. It's not useful yet. But there will come a time in the not too distant future where I will do my data entry on my keyboard the same way I do. I'll hit a button and in front of me will appear a hologram of a three-dimensional chart that I can kind of touch and spin around this way, go that way, take a planet and move it over here, add where the planets are. I mean... Again, where will this lead us? I don't know, but but they'll look back at at the uh, late 20th, early 21st century, and they'll go, you remember those archaic, you know, medieval-like people who, when they did horoscopes, they studied astrology and they looked at it on a flat surface? I mean, can you believe how how in the cave of darkness they were and they didn't even know it? Rick, what do you think that having that dimensionality will do to our interpretation of the chart. I, I can't say because I don't have that experience yet. Mm. Um, I can say it'll alter how we look at it. It'll yeah. alter how we move around in our own space. Because remember the planets aren't up there. The planets up there are also in here and therefore having pictures not, not even pictures, having three-dimensional scaffolding maps, constructions. And, and so that rather than visualizing, 
um, transiting Saturn now moving through Aquarius and squaring Uranus and how that might in my own natal chart activate my ascendant or my midheaven or my sun or moon or whatever, I'll actually be able to create this in three dimensions and actually watch it light up in different directions. Um, and of course, once you tie this to the databases that are beginning to develop here and now brings us to the next piece of this. And that is, uh, you know, a Johannes Kepler learning astrology had probably uh, a translation of Ptolemy's uh, Tetrabiblos, which had meanings for certain planets and houses and whatever. But beyond that, he was on his own. We moderners have a library. You can't see it because my lighting is funny today. But, you know, as you know, back against those couple of walls, you know, I have several hundred volumes of books written by intelligent people who have written books about the transits of Mars and Saturn and the aspects of Venus and Jupiter's natal placements and and just stories about all the different uh, uh, configurations and, and so on. And so if I get kind of confused or if I want to learn, I, I have probably 30 or 40 books at least where I could learn about how does Jupiter work when it transits through the third house, let's say. So the amount of information that we have is huge, but most of it still resides in books. We are in the process, though, of seeing that digitized and eventually data-based. Remember, uh, again, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, if you wanted to know what a chart meant, you had to go to an astrologer who would interpret the chart. And then um, the first computers that actually were too large or connected to larger computers, so they were not individually owned. Um, you look at like Rob Hinn's uh, books, Planets in Transit or Planets in Youth. Um, these were books that were originally published by a company called Para Research that basically paid Rob and, and Bob T uh, Pelletier and John Townley and a few other astrologers of that time. This is the mid-60s, mid-late 60s. Um, they paid them to write down 300-word delineations, interpretations for all of the um, different uh, planet signs and houses so that you could go to, and the first installation I think was in Grand Central Station, if I'm not mistaken, in New York City, where you could actually go to this box and uh, put in your credit card uh, and put in your birth date, place, and time and wait about 10 minutes and it would print out a 30-page report of all the planets in your chart, where they were when you were born, what they mean, what the aspects were, what houses they were in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this was shocking because nothing like this had ever existed before. You know, now there are 10,000, you know, a thousand. I don't know. I'm making the number up. Do not believe this statistic. There are many, many, many places on the internet where you can go and for uh, $3, $5, $25, $50, or for free, find places where you can put in your data and get that, those 
variations on those same reports, much, much deeper, much wider, more psychologically oriented, etc. But that information also was never accessible before. So part of my vision of the future of astrology will see all of those different bits of interpretive, symbolic information, um, images, pictures, um, essays, articles, keywords. They'll be, in a way, they'll be available. So when you look at a chart, whether it's on a flat piece of paper or in my three-dimensional basketball-sized hologram, and I touch Mars and I go, tell me about this, blink, all of a sudden I'll have all the information that I want to read about Mars and how my Mars is doing this or not that or, or whatever, and that information will be readily available. We're already seeing flavors of that, and and I know this is a conversation that you and I have had because – um, going back 25 years ago, um, I mean, I, I, I got involved in computers parallel to my astrology. Uh, when I was in college, no, there were no computers. No one had a computer. The computer is something you got access to in the, in the, in the uh, mathematics lab um, in universities, and you had to do it through punch cards, you know. Um, but as computers became available, my interest has always been in database. And database is like, if you think of like Excel, like a, a spreadsheet, databases are like three-dimensional or nth-dimensional spreadsheets where you can connect information to other pieces of information uh, through queer, what's called query, through, through, through asking questions. Um, and uh, <clears throat> one of the most widely used database structures, certainly not the only, um, is, is SQL, which is a product of Microsoft, but it stands for Structured Query Language. And so we will see a language develop that allows us to query. Um, so what happened... What, what happened to um, 100,000 people um, when transiting Saturn conjoined by transit their natal moon when they were about 35 years old? And what are their stories? And boom, because there'll be a network of people who will be put, we're seeing this already in social media, but it's pre-formalized. And so there will be a formalization of this information whereby if you contribute your stories to what happens on certain transits, well, then you gain access to the wiki, you know, um, that, that is developed by the network of people who are putting the information in. And so we will see a larger and larger mind share ability of understanding not what Rick Levine says happens when transiting Uranus, um, you know, moves through your second house, not what Rob Hand says or any one astrologer, but instead we'll be able to get the feedback of a larger network, an Aquarian network, if you will, of tens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people experiencing these things on a regular basis. Because remember, when there is a full moon in Scorpio, like there recently was, 
not everybody is affected in the same manner. In fact, everybody is affected differently because we're all on different trajectories. And so that additional set of information will become more and more accessible. Um, and again, it'll change, it'll change everything. You're, you're, you're on mute. Ricky move. <laughs> we are already seeing it, as you said, um, even just, I'm, I'm thinking of a few shares I've seen recently in our community where people will, will map what's happened as Pluto has transited their chart. And, you know, this, this Pluto transit happened and this was the storyline in my life. And then this Pluto transit happened. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's beautiful about it is people can start to see all the different ways that a transit with Pluto, for example, can manifest. And it exactly. does take us out of that deterministic, fatalistic, oh, Pluto transit means blank. Yeah, because just on this, on this recent full moon, I've, I've watched people's stories um, on my Instagram where someone said, this has been the most horrific couple of days of my life. I can't believe it. Everything you wrote about it was true. And then the next person will write, will write um, this has been one of the smoothest periods of my life. I can't believe how what you said is so accurate. Now, figure that out. In other words, this is the magic of how we interpret data. Mm. And yet it's there as if it's done correctly, the astrologer doesn't over specify to the extent that it excludes the astrologer doesn't over generalize so it could apply to anybody at any time the magic is finding that place in between where again rather than creating a container you're creating a scaffolding where the person can hang their own personal experience on it regardless of whether that person just entered a beautiful marriage or left a horrific one. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's still the energetic symbology. Um, it, it can can exist that will take both of those experiences into a larger whole. And I think that this is part of where astrology is going. I mean, there are other things too. We'll get to a few of those in a minute. Yeah. I, what else would you say? So we have virtual reality really changing our ability to take the astrology from a flat chart and actually experience it, which I know, you know, anyone taking sacred astronomy or anyone who's just doing this on their own, who has already started doing that with the real sky, it changes their entire orientation with all these things that we're learning about. Yeah. So yes, being able to do that in a virtual reality setting where there are things that happen for people that there's clouds that make it so they can't see the sky for a long time, or they're in a place where, you know, they're in a city and they can't see the sky. So this would definitely supplement that. Plus no one can go back to their birth time really and see it. So yes, very. And then you have this database being able to really create a big, huge bank of information that we can easily access, but then that we can also use to continue the evolution of the interpretations with real people's stories and real data. Yeah, exactly. All, all, all of that. So we've already seen um, online inklings of what another piece of this will occur 
Um, this is something that you and I have talked about in, in the past. It's something that I actually began thinking about back when I was doing database work in the late 80s, early 90s. I began thinking about this and I began thinking that 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 the real breakthrough work of an astrologer, um, a professional astrologer, um, at that time I maybe had 500, 300, 500, 800 clients, um, you know, that people's chart that I, that I had done professionally. And I began to think, what if I had all of my clients in a database? And what if I had my clients subscribing to my service as an astrologer, but rather than waiting until they were in the middle of a crisis and calling their astrologer like clients do and going, what the hell is going on in my life? In just a couple of weeks, I, you know, I, I got promoted to this new position, but that meant I had to move to a new place. Um, you know, my three oldest kids don't want to move. And so they're staying with their with their dad or their mom or in another city. And at the same time, my father is now in the hot. I mean, whatever scenario you make up, it's like all of a sudden all um, hell or heaven breaks loose. And the person calls the astrologer. And the astrologer looks at the chart and goes, oh, wow, you have transiting Jupiter and you have this and that. Okay, so the question becomes, why couldn't with the use of database technology and with the use of uh, computers, why couldn't I as an astrologer send out an email to everyone six months before their Saturn return, for example, saying, um, you know, um, I know you're coming into a time in your life that's quite important astrologically. You may already be experiencing some of these kinds of things, blah, 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 blah. Um, but this is something that's going to be going on for you for the next, you know, six months to a year or so. And this might be a really good time to uh, check in to see what's going on in your life before the shit hits the fan. Hmm. Changes the game. What happens if I then take that same list of 500 clients or 500,000 people in some sort of super database that I've developed? And what if I send out to all of those people, um, uh, Mercury is conjoining your natal Uranus today, and you may feel totally buzzed. Um, to find out more, blah, 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 or just that might be enough. But, but we're now talking about, because we're talking about preemptive, uh, personalized data, which of course we know that's what the internet does. You know, you go onto Amazon and you get the damn advertisement for the thing that you looked at three days ago <laughs> on your yeah. phone. And uh -huh. you go, how the hell did they connect that with this yeah. and why am I seeing all these advertisements now, you know, for, for swimming pools because a friend was over and, and Googled swimming pools and I don't even have a damn house, you know, but this is kind of the next phase of, of, of all of this. Um, and, um, and, and in fact, some 25 years ago, uh, yeah, it was about a little over 20 years ago, 
um, my now deceased astrology partner, Jeff Jower, and I started a, a company called Star IQ, basically built around the idea of this technology. And like many other companies at that time, dot com, dot bomb, we were not able to quite pull it off, but we were able to prove that, you know, that it works. And we're seeing some of these applications now kind of bubble into into the marketplace. Unfortunately, the ones that we have seen so far are, um, let's see, what's a good technical word? Shit. (laughs) (laughs) They're unfortunately not done well. They're not done by astrologers or competent people. And and so, but, but this now brings us to the next concept of where I see the future of astrology going. And that is, 20 years ago, if you said to someone, so, you know, so can you find it on your GPS? They'd go, my what? You know, well, just, you know, just put in the coordinates and you'll find your way here because, you know, just just use your GPS. My what? There was no such thing as GPS. I mean, that, that popped overnight. The technology was there. It was used by the military. You know, and a lot of people now who use GPS don't even ever think of it. What does that mean? It means global positioning system. And it's a system that basically gives us feedback based upon massive computer intelligence as to where something is in in space, an exact pinpoint within typically within about six feet, three to six feet is where GPS can can pinpoint something. So my um, strong belief on, in the future of astrology involves something called TPS, temporal positioning systems. I don't care where I am. I want to know when I am. <laughs> you know, I want to know what this moment means in the larger scheme of my things, of, of my life. And even though if I'm paying attention and if I'm, t- I'm and if I'm, listening to my intuition, I'm in tune with that. But if I'm kind of scattered and out of shape, I want something to lean on. I can pull out my cell phone, hit a couple of buttons and go, oh, that's where I am. That's when I am. Where I am is GPS. That's Mm. spatial global positioning. TPS, temporal positioning systems, are basically apps that will remind me when I am. And when I say when, I don't mean the time on the clock. I mean the time on my biological system as it is being interfered with or or resonant to the what's going on now. And that also then can be extended to meeting people, you know, where I just bump into someone and in and whether it be through artificial or it's not artificial intelligence, it's augmented reality intelligence that the, um, that the computer does a quick scan of your face and does a complete chart and basically knows exactly what the relationship is between our suns, moons, Venuses, Mercuries, Mars, and so on. And I'm not an astrologer. I'm just a consumer looking at this just like I'm not an auto mechanic or build cars, I just drive my damn car. You know, in, in other words, it won't require knowing the nuts and bolts, just like you don't have to know how to triangulate the data coming from three stationary military satellites to know 
that the guy or the girl in the voice in your phone or in your GPS thing is telling you to make a right at the corner. You don't question it. You just make the right <laughs> because it knows where you are. This and so I, I think that what we will get into and whether this is three years or 30 years or whatever, I, I don't know, but I think it's pretty inevitable that we will move into that kind of feedback um, that that changes everything. And when we talk about feedback, that brings up another whole piece of the future of astrology. And that has uh, to do with something that I call uh, global uh, global feedback loops or cosmic feedback loops. And it used to be that when there were slow-moving outer planet transits, like, um, like a Uranus conjuncting Pluto, which happened... Um, or opposing Pluto, which happened around the time William Blake and, and, and Beethoven, uh, early um, uh, 19th century, or, or the, around the invention of the printing press, also happened in the mid-60s. Now, the difference between what happened in the mid-60s and what's happening now has to do with the advent of self-referential technology. We can call it social media. We can call it everyone has a telephone that can record a moment. And that recorded moment becomes an artifact that even though the moment passes, we still have the artifact of that moment. And so we get events that in the past happened and then faded into the past. Except now things happen and they don't fade into the past. They maybe become less important for a day or a week or a month or a year or 25 years. And then all of a sudden something happens. It stimulates that exact same resonant circuit again. And all of a sudden all the recordings come out of the event that it's tied to. And we go, oh, my God, this is the same thing. This is just like Rodney King. This is just like, and all the astrologers then start saying, well, yeah, and Saturn was in Uranus, Saturn was in Aquarius then, and with the George Floyd murder, Saturn had just moved into Aquarius, and there is a resonance here and whatever, and okay, that event occurs, but then because so many people have recorded it, every time the moon, every time Mercury, Venus, or Mars comes around and makes an aspect to that moment of when it happened, all of a sudden we become flooded for a day or two again and again and again and again. And we see this on events. This is a particular thing I've, I've been tracking. I'm fascinated with how something can happen. And then six months later, something happens and it's the, an aspect to the exact same planet. And you look at when it happened originally, it's like, you know, you can't make this stuff up. Now, this is part of the future of astrology because it's how technology interferes with and creates astrology. Astrologers didn't, they didn't know this. They weren't able to, matter of fact, until, in, until the seventies, eighties, maybe even in the nineties, there were no astrologers who could talk about, well, let's see. Um, we have this Uranus Saturn, Saturn Uranus square going on right now. It happens every, you know, 20, 30 years. What happened the last 10 or 15 times that aspect was exact? There was no way to track that. Hmm. Unless you were to take out your ephemeris and go back with this, you could go back 100 years. 
But then once you hit 1800 or 1899, you're stuck, you know? And so with a computer, I can hit a button and say, show me every time that Saturn and Pluto were in a conjunction or opposition, like they were during the World Trade Tower bombing and during the beginning of the um, uh, fear COVID fear epidemic. Um, and I can say, show me that for every time that event happened uh, and go back to um, uh, 200 BC. And the computer will show me to the day, which is more accurate than I typically need if I'm looking at an event at, you know, in, in uh, 34 AD. Um, but for the first time, astrologers have the ability to take these much larger scale social cultural events and put them into the hopper that were previously reserved only for individuals. And again, here we're at the tip of the tip of the iceberg. There are several astrologers <clears throat> who spend a lot of their time in this research. I, I, it happens to be a pet area um, of astrological research for me. Um, but I think the, um, I don't want to say the king of the hill, but the, uh, the go-to person when it comes to this brand um, of studying the history of the slower moving planetary cycles um, is a man named Richard Tarnas, Rick Tarnas, um, who wrote a book called Cosmos and Psyche, which is like an encyclopedia of the history of the West and correlating it with these planetary cycles. But as encyclopedic as Rick's work is, it's not exhaustive because it, it, it all it takes is a computer, a little bit of interest and a bit of uh, putting on your um, private eye, Sherlock Holmes, Dick Tracy cap and going and becoming a sleuth. Now, again, just like the database of personal information, we will see, and we've already begun to see this in a non-astrological manner, we will begin to see um, the, the same historical information become accessible and available. I mean, right now I can put in um, the year 1456, and in any one of three or four sites, I can see the main events that occurred in 1456 or 1931 or whatever year I put in. And this was just simply that, I mean, this was days in a library to come up with what, what was going on in, in, in 1907. You know, it was going back and looking at newspapers and reading microfilm and, you know, and looking at information almanacs and things of that sort. And now we have it available and this becomes again, another layer of information that will change the future of astrology. Yes. And <laughs> I'm already seeing this start to happen. So Anne consistently references, you know, she's, she's looking at cycles. So, you know, on the weekly weather, she'll say this period of time goes back to last September. I'm just making this up and the previous December. And, and, and I'll be thinking, Hmm, what, I don't, I don't remember what was happening for me last September, but you can look in your phone and you can look at pictures. You can look at your calendar. You can look at you. I've started taking Facebook outlook, yeah, whatever, exactly. whatever calendar. Yeah. Yep. I've started taking screenshots of headlines just so that I know like what was up, what was going on. So when this happens again, I can start to go, Oh, 
this was up then and look how it's changed costume, but it's the same thing now. And so we're able to do this individually much more than we could have before. And I see what you're saying because it's going to bring another layer of nuance. Like we could look at the major events of 1907, but like what was happening on this specific day when this transit happened or, you know, what were some of the, the, the underlying stories that were happening at that time that didn't make it. So someone, uh, and it's the underlying stories that don't make it that often have the most fabulous tales uh, yes. in how things are connected. I mean, yes. I, I, in doing my Saturn Pluto conjunction opposition research, I mean, some of the stories are just crazy. Uh, the fact that uh, the fact that Mahatma Gandhi spent most of the year in jail in South Africa while he was working to get Indians excluded from the uh, apartheid there in 1898, I think was the year. And that was a Saturn-Pluto opposition year. And then at the Saturn-Pluto, um, the next Saturn-Pluto opposition in 1931, Gandhi spent most of the year in jail again for leading the salt marches to the sea where the uh, native Indians were um, boiling seawater to make salt, which was against the law because the Brits were taxing them on the salt that they had to buy from the Brits. And so he spent the year in jail again. Then at the next conjunction in 1947, within five days of this exact conjunction, this is the same conjunction that happened just you know last year in January of 2020, but within five days of that exact conjunction, uh, England, the United Kingdom, granted India and Pakistan their their freedom from the British Empire. I mean, like like within five days of the exact exact, mm. and that was 1947. And if all of that's not crazy enough, in 1982, at the next year at the next Saturn Pluto conjunction. The movie Gandhi came out that year wow. within a couple of weeks of the exact conjunction. Wow. And for anyone who was alive and of age then, they know that that wasn't a movie. It was a cultural event. I mean, it was something that that was like that powerful. And and, and so, but but these are invisible unless you have the ability to go out beyond your individual personal life and the ability to have the computers to track backward. So this is all hugely important. And it brings me to one other thing before we leave this topic. Um, someone asked me recently, so as you look back in your childhood, who do you think affected you more than any other person? Which is a good, good question. Yeah. And I thought about it. And my answer was, I, got, I said, I have two answers. It's really the same answer, but one name you'll recognize and the other one I bet you won't. And the persons on the phone said, so well, who, who was it? I said, well, the person who you won't recognize, which is really the person that impacted my entire life, um, was a man named Harry Seldon. Nothing? <laughs> Nothing. Well, if you were a science fiction buff, you would know that Harry Seldon was the protagonist in Isaac Asimov's first book, which is the no, first book of the three books known as the Foundation Trilogy which is kind of like Star Wars 40 years before Star Wars happened. It was, mm. uh, and it, it was an intergalactic 
um, thousands of thousands of years spread about um, about the mechanics of of how civilization kind of developed and and was destroyed in war and so on. And Harry Selden was a character was that in the very first book was a mathematician historian who figured out the laws. But he, he became f- memorialized because he figured out the laws of psychohistory. There's no mention of astrology in this book. There is, it's not Isaac Asimov. The author was not, uh, not only not an astrologer, he was a scientist. He was down on astrology, but Harry Selden figured out how to apply mathematics to large groups of humans interacting. And from that, he was able to predict that in, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like in um, in 18,000 years that there would be a an entire war that would be a galactic level war and that Earth would be um, consumed in this war and it would take like a third of a million years for hum- for for the human race which exists in this book on many planets to get back up to where where it was when it when it got obliterated and so harry selden sees this and he figures out a way by creating what's called the foundation and it's something that becomes a top secret um, multi-generational project of accumulating all the knowledge from all the planets throughout the entire galaxy and storing it on some nondescript planet on the outer edge of the galaxy that's outside the normal trade. And as he describes where all this is being put and saved um, so that when the big war comes, uh, because this planet is outside of the normal cosmic galactic trade that it doesn't get obliterated. And so instead of taking, you know, 300 million years or 3 million, I don't remember what the numbers were. It would only take a few tens of thousands of years to reseed the entire galaxy with this information. And you begin to realize that what he's talking about is earth <laughs> as maybe this place of the foundation and the book is it, 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 it like i said it's three books and it's sprawling but there was a character in that book who figured out how to use mathematics to predict large-scale historic change and it planted a seed in me it's astrology mm-hmm. psycho historians mm-hmm. um so these are all pieces of the future of astrology um, there are other things, though, that are are interesting. I mean, because of the advent of the Internet and the and the availability of information, whether it is um, what's the word we want to use socially approved or not, meaning astrology, even though there's a lot of smart people doing it, hmm. um, even though, gosh, I, I could probably rather quickly list off 30 or 40 or so PhDs who uh, are leaders in fields who have also contributed greatly to astrology. Um, But largely astrology is still um, damned. It's still excluded. It's still considered to be outside um, the norm. And as such, uh, and we've talked about this previously, 
the combination of both science and religion against astrology have really kind of astrology for many people is just something that needs to be just, you know, exercised or exorcised. Um, it needs to be cut away from, you know, like a blight, like a wart on, on humanity. Um, and yet it's become uh, obvious with the internet and with the uh, free availability of so much information, astrological information, um, including the work that you're doing, including the work that I'm doing, including the work that so many of us are doing, that it's highly unlikely that this is ever going to be made to go away. Society has come close a few times to making it go away, but it's been kept alive in, in, in secret initiate orders, in, in conclaves, in the monasteries even. But, uh, but they weren't broadcast, but they kind of kept the knowledge alive. And right now, the knowledge is not only alive, but it is so exploded and this is good news, bad news, because part of that explosion has also taken some very important, deep and powerful stuff and has totally trivialized it. I mean, I look at online, I see uh, um, I, I see uh, Instagram accounts that have hundreds of thousands of followers, you know, that are just simply, you know, what color Aries likes or whatever. And um, and if that was you and you're listening, I'm not picking on you particularly. Um, but but there's a whole genre of popular trivialized astrology, which is a fine line of what we do here, what I do in my consulting work versus the sun sign column that I wrote for years, the sun sign books that I wrote for years. But that it goes somewhere where it becomes so trivialized where the astrology is not even done by astrologers. It's done by a staff person who's just making shit up and no one ever knows that they're making that up. And so there's, it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword and yet it's become so uh, part of the consumer uh, awareness and trade um, that it's like the genie and there is no stuffing it back into the box. It's, it's, it's too late for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think we could make the same argument about newspaper horoscope, though, you know, that it can be an entry point, even if, you know, hundreds of thousands of people just looking at. Oh, what yeah. Chris, Chris Brennan, who is a, um, a light in the academic astrology world, um, I recommend his weekly podcast um, for anyone who wants to, you know, who who's willing to put in the time to really learn about astrology and the history and the community and so on. But um, Chris has rightfully called um, sun sign astrology the gateway drug to horoscopic astrology. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I agree with that completely. I, I remember. Pff, uh, I'm guessing it was, well, no, I'll tell you what year it was. It was 2006. So what's that? Uh, 15 years ago, something like that. Um, having lunch um, with Jeff Jower and, um, and Alois Treindl, who is the owner and physicist, PhD physicist, I might say, um, who um, has done the programming and runs Astro.com or Astrodienst. And, um, and Jeff and I had ha- had our first 2006, our first uh, bar- big, big market Barnes and Noble 
uh, book come out. And Aloise said to us, he kind of asked this question at lunch. He goes, he goes, I don't get it. He goes, why are two such bright-minded and brilliant astrologers like, like, like you two, like Jeff and Rick, why are you wasting your time writing this sun sign crap? And Jeff's answer was actually, Jeff had a great sense of humor and his answer was brilliant. He looked at Aloisi, looked at me and he looked at Aloisi, he goes, he goes, we just work for the astrology union. We show up and they tell us what to do. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is that now 15 years later, I can't tell you how many people I bump into who say that the first, that their first flavor, their first taste of astrology were the annual books that Jeff and I wrote, you know, because our goal was to trick the publisher, Barnes and Noble, Sterling Press, into publishing real astrology under the guise of pablum, (laughs) under the guise of, of, you know, today's your lucky day kind of crap. And, um, and I think we really did some breakthrough work, but I'm amazed at how many people got into astrology reading those books, or perhaps reading not only my daily sun sign column, but anyone who wrote it with awareness and consciousness as compared to so many, which again, were, you know, there are newspapers and there are stories of newspapers who have just gone down into the newsroom and saying, hey, we need an astrology column. Our real astrologer just quit. Um, anyone here a game? And a person said, I'll, I think it's just bullshit, but I'll, I'll write it. Wow. And they go, okay, you're on. I mean, this, yeah. it's not as uncommon as we would like to think. So yeah. I think, again, when we look at the future of astrology, we're seeing the game upped. We're seeing the level of of awareness, of knowledge, of of information um, increase. And and before we drop this, or before I drop this, uh, like a Rottweiler with my my teeth into the tennis ball, and I'm not letting <laughs> not letting it go yet. Um, uh, it's because I'm having too much fun playing. No, um, but but the, one other piece is I don't know if if you or any of the viewers are aware of a concept in electronic technology in it's used in circuit analysis, you know, I have a phone and it's made up of all kinds of printed circuits of resistors and capacitors and wires and transformers and all kinds of stuff that have names. And I don't know how any of this works, but when we turn it on, it just does this thing. And integrated circuit analysis is a is a um, mathematical mm, tool sets sets of tools that basically allow one to work with complex high frequency um, um, circuits and what happens when these circuits are all integrated into one. Well, one of the tools that came out. Um, I pr- think probably in the late 1800s, I'm not sure of the date, the man's name was Fourier, uh, obviously a French person. And what he contributed is something to mathematics now called Fourier analysis. And, and Fourier analysis is a way of taking complex cycles, frequencies, you know, whether they're musical notes or, or electromagnetic um, frequencies, and taking these complex rhythms within rhythms within rhythms 
and creating a mathematics that simplifies it and allows you to understand how all these complexities work together. Well, it's my contention that what we will see sometime in the next six weeks, six months, six years, 60 years, I don't know, but we will see something come out of Stanford, Harvard, Yale, some, you know, um, um, Princeton, you know, advanced engineering department. We will see something come out of that that has to do with a complex Fourier analysis of planetary movement that allows the the person who is working these equations um, to um, predict things like stock market, you know, winners of baseball games, whatever. And of course, the disclaimer will be this. Of course, this has nothing to do with astrology. But it will be. It'll be the it'll be the next level of co-option of the science engineering. You know, there's a thing that has happened in science again and again and again. And that is the new ideas are basically embraced when the holders of the old ideas die out. <laughs> you know, whether it's the 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 use of Arabic numbers, you know, and then being embraced by by the church and by, you know, by by Rome. Um, whereas for centuries it was illegal and punishable by death, you know, whether it's the idea that the uh, sun is the center of our little system here and not the earth, and teaching that was punishable by death, you know, until basically we make the move. And, um, and, and the book about this, by the way, is a book by a man named Thomas Kuhn, who was a professor at Harvard, and he wrote a book called um, the structure of scientific revolution, um, and it's um, a very important book. But I think what we'll see is that we will reach a point at which science loses its defenses, because the defenses that science has held against astrology are largely fabricated or built upon incorrect assumptions. And so then they'll have to not only co-opt it, but claim it. And they'll claim it as their own. We've already seen this. There's a, a couple of books by a man named Percy Seymour, PhD astronomer. Um, and these books came out, I think, in the mid-70s. Um, one was called um, uh, Astrology, the Evidence of Science. And the other one was called The Scientific Basis for Astrology. And in this, this um, rather learned um, uh, astronomer basically claimed that astrology works and here's how. And he had this whole scientific basis for it, which I'm not sure was exactly right on, but some of it was good. But it was like, in some way, in doing that, he was taking everything away from all the astrology that's ever been done. And now he's saying, now, here's what it really is. Hmm. And I think that that's, again, just a little hint of what the of what we might see in the future of astrology. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm letting go of the ball for a minute. Well, I mean, so if, if basically what you're saying is that there's going to be, it's going to come to life, there's going to be more ways for it to actually be tangible and real, that there's going to be more accuracy and more data to pull upon, that people will start to use astrology 
as uh, you know, so we have like the time of the day, we have the weather of the day, but then there's going to be the astrology that informs when they are and what's happening from and that astrology will actually be related back to your individual patterns and yes. not only your birth chart, but, but heuristically your database of your, how you reacted to yeah. all these things in your so life. It's intelligent. It responds. Oh, it will, you will, you will make your temporal positioning system smarter and smarter yeah. by plugging in what happens to you at every new moon. Or right, full like moon. the last time this the the moon was in this phase, and and the last time you had this transit, these were the oh wow, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Now, okay. There's one other piece in this also that I don't want to leave out, um, and, and you touched on it, uh, and it's not just advanced, it's not just greater accuracy. Even that is a double-edged sword for anyone who's ever read um, uh, the book, uh, well, that became the movie Minority Report, um, that. We have this whole thing. If I'm so accurate, why don't I, um, you know, arrest or abort a, a baby who is born with a chart that shows that they'll be a serial killer? Yeah, I know. It's slippery. No, it, even, it, even when you were talking about it before, you know, you meet someone and you pull their chart up and then there's an interpretation and there's a like yeah. that. That's kind of scary, honestly, because because it's so dependent on the interpreters. Oh yeah. I know astrologers who say, Oh, I met this guy, but he had a moon in Gemini. <laughs> I'm not going there or whatever. Um, and I have to say maybe much to my own lack of wisdom. I don't know, but I've never met someone. I liked looked at their chart and then went, Oh my God, no, I, I right. And I've never met someone I didn't like looked at their chart and go, wow, our Jupiters are trying. We'd be cool. You know, it, it, it just doesn't work that way. And yet that's where we will go. That's where that's where the market will take us, unfortunately. And that's a bit of a shadow side of what can happen. And when you talk about accuracy, there's another piece here also that we've seen little bits from work um, uh, like the, uh, the work of David Cochran, vibrational astrology, mm -hmm. which in a way is as close as we get to that whole concept of Fourier analysis. What David Cochran's work is doing, and this is not his alone, although he's contributed to it greatly. Um, it's a, something called harmonics in astrology, which kind of really comes from the work of Charles Addy, a 20th century British astrologer. Um, but it has to do with the higher frequencies of the planets. Just like when we hear a note, we don't only hear that note. We hear its overtones, its harmonics. That's what gives it its timber. That's what makes a trombone sound different than a cello that can play the same note but it's, it feels different. And so by doing harmonic analysis, which by hand, and I've done some of this by hand, really is time consuming and can make a person um, a little, you know, um, loopy. Um, but at the push of a button, I can run through 10,000 harmonics and the computer can tell me which harmonics are the most active in a chart. 
And what does that mean? Forget about where the planets are by sign, by house, by aspect. What's the hum, the buzz? And how does that resonate with other charts who have a similar hum or buzz? Mm -hmm. And then we get to midpoints, the halfway points. There's so many additional pieces that can come into being that are already there, but we don't yet have the tools to integrate the massive amount of data. When we talk about massive amount of data, you know, I've said many times, NASA tracks over a half a million things going around the sun. And if, as we astrologers believe that everything is connected to everything, then what does this space gravel have to tell us that we miss by just looking at seven planets or 10 planets or, 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 or five asteroids? I mean, there are over <clears throat> 20 thousand named asteroids and hundreds of thousands of things. And then we look at what's out further. We look at, you know, galaxies and and black holes and pulsars and quasars and and X-ray sources and and clusters, globular clusters, Seifert galaxies. And all these things all have their own inherent meanings. And if a planet lines up with one of these points, what does that tell us? So we're on, we're like, we're, we're like um, the Europeans, you know, in the 14, 1500s, um, thinking they've discovered the world when they've just dipped their toe into what it is that they've discovered. And they didn't discover any of it. It was there before they realized it, just as we astrologers know and will will know that all these invisible rhythms were there, whether or not we are aware of them or not. Wow. I mean, that just adds a whole nother level to what we've been talking about because of all the discoveries that we don't know we're going to make, that we're going to make, and it's going to change everything, just like Uranus changed everything. Pluto, you know, amazing. So, I mean, essentially... What we're doing right now is going to change dramatically. Technology is going to have a massive, massive, massive impact on this field as it is on the whole world. Yeah. And astrology. I think I, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but this was another one of Jeff's points in talking about. Uh, he did a lecture many years ago <clears throat> at Norwalk, which is available from the Norwalk Library, called If Astrologers Ruled the World. Right. That's right. And the question becomes, if astrologers ruled the world and I'm um, and I'm a Pisces, does that mean I would never, ever, ever, ever get a job as an accountant because people would know that I really should be writing poetry and that I was spacey? In other words, it gets back to the assumptions that minority report concept of having a bit of data and then drawing it to a logical conclusion based upon massive information that may or may not be correct. Hmm. So if you didn't catch our episode last week on the five misuses of astrology per Rick Merlin Levine, his top five, uh, you might want to check that out because with every single thing that we've brought up, there is that shadow side. There's, and to me, it's, it's education of the quote unquote consumer of the information. Also education of the ones practicing the craft and making sure that as much of the integrity can be preserved. So which is why there are organizations like OPA, the organization for professional astrology, um, uh, 
like. Incidentally, um, a few of us from OPA are doing a retreat weekend at Omega Institute um, uh, in the Hudson River Valley in September. Check that out. Uh, NCGR, the National Council for Geocosmic Research, um, education-oriented for astrologers. There's many schools, but the point is that the education of astrologers is significant because it's so easy for someone to go read, you know, uh, a handful of things or or read total cr trivial crap and go, I got it. This all makes sense to me. I'm an astrologer. Ah. <laughs> yes, it happens in every field, in every arena, I think. Well, it doesn't happen in medicine. Right, exactly. Well, and that's a terrible example yeah. because in medicine, they've so overstructured it uh, that they've pushed much of what real healing is outside of it. Yeah. And what was a healing system is now probably more of a sick maintenance system. So it's a delicate balance mm -hmm. that we have between over licensing, over regulating, huh? over regulation, over regulation and yeah. no regulation. Exactly. And I think that the, that the, that what we do is we acknowledge the lack of regulation while we spend as much time, effort as we can in consistently letting people know the difference between what's useful and competent and real versus what may be less than useful and or even dangerous. Right, right. Okay, I have a, a really special announcement to make. I don't know if you're ready for this. There's, there's nothing anyone can do about it yet, but I just want to start planting the seeds because we've decided that quote unquote level three of astrology foundations is going to be more of an experiential thing. So Rick is going to be doing live chart reading demos where he's going to actually be reading someone's chart live. The person's going to be there on, on screen. So you'll get to see how he, he engages in an actual chart reading. Um, in August, we're going to be doing one a week for the whole month of August. So and, just but rather than calling them demos, yeah, because they're real interactions, right? In other words, I'll be working, yes, but I'll be reading. Let's say I'm looking at your chart, mm -hmm. I'll be reading your chart and talking to you as a client. You will be on like you are with me now. Right. Um, whoever the 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 um, victim, I mean the um, guest <laughs> is, um, I'll, I'll be talking to that person directly. But at the same time, I'll then turn to the group and say, the reason why I'm bringing this up is blah 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 blah. And then I'll go, so Amanda, how does that work for you? And does that? And then the group will get to hear how that actually works. The group will also get to ask questions, um, and so it won't be fully interactive, but it will be such that that rather than being a demonstration, it'll be a real life. It, it's what I call it. I call it using a real person as the curriculum to learn something that is about real people, not about textbooks. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We got to the point where it's like, okay, we need to just practice together now. It's there's, we have enough information. We have all the pieces. Now it's time. Like, let's bring it to life. Let's see how it works in action. So that will be in August. Just kind of like file that away. I don't have a wait list or anything yet. Um, and that'll be open. If you haven't taken astrology foundations one or two, it will be recommended, but not required. So if you just want to see how Rick does it and why he does it, you'll be welcome to join us even if you haven't taken Foundations 1 or 2. 
but you have plenty of time between now and then to take foundations one and two if you haven't yet. And that's astrologyhub.com slash foundations. So you can check out those two courses too. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I mean, it's it's an exciting future for astrology. That that I know. I know that we are like at the very beginning of the wave is what it feels like. And it's a big wave. And yeah, I, I, I can't wait until I get my first hologram, you know, astrology calculator. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. So thank you for helping us to, to feel into that future. And there's things we could be doing now to be ready for it. And also just be open to whatever it's going to be. Yeah. We never know. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you so much for, for being with us, us here on The Cosmic Connection. Thank you for being a part of our community. And thank you, as always, for making astrology a part of your life. And we'll see you next week. I know this day was different than normal. Um, next week, we'll be back on Thursday. Tomorrow, my da- my daughter has a pentathlon. Um, and they they are each competing in the Greek games and they have to actually choose a god or a goddess to invoke. And she has chosen Artemis. And so she has a whole ode to Artemis. And it's it's adorable. So I will be there um, watching the competition. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. And we will see you again very soon. Take care.